0: Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AMLAW 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness, and I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hello there. This is Heather Mulder, host of the Life in Law Podcast, and I'm super excited about today's podcast because I have a special guest with us today to talk about not a great topic, but a topic that I think a lot of lawyers, unfortunately, have to deal with, and that is burnout. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm super excited to have you. I it's funny because if I if memory serves, I reached out to you like last year, t- around like a completely different topic, and I remember yeah. you saying yes, I love talking about this. And then it never worked out, and we kind of went back and forth. And then I saw your post. It's probably a couple months ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, around I I. I I'm done, like at least for now. I'm taking a sabbatical. That I'm was just yeah, <laughs> burnt out. And we reached back out and have kind of gotten an online friendship going. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, this is a much better topic. We need to have you on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's the story of my life. It's just been like we connected and then we didn't, and then you know, and then I saw this post from you. So, understand. well, you
0: know, it it just goes to show people how online connections can make a difference and how, um, you know, in today's day and age, we would love to be in person sometimes, but sometimes we can't. So don't forget to make those online connections because they can be really meaningful too. Yeah, that's true. So, okay. So why don't you give people a little bit more information about who you are and what it is you do? Okay.
1: Um, So, uh, Nicole Miller, I am um, an attorney here in the Dallas area and kind of went to to law school later in life. So I was out for about 10 years and then went to law school um, and started working in commercial litigation, kind of transitioned to owning my own practice and back to commercial litigation. (laughs) Um, And now I am kind of working uh, kind of a little piecemeal. So I'm doing a little bit of legal work as an attorney, but I'm also doing workflow consulting. So helping small and solo firms streamline their tech and, and kind of get things organized. And then also working with a recruiting company that is all ex associates in the Texas area. So kind of a hodgepodge of
0: things. So. And the, the, the big reason why you're doing a hodgepodge of things now (laughs) is why.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So um. I it's always hard. It's a hard thing to start because it's I feel like there's so much that kind of has happened. But the reason that I'm doing that now is that um in June, end of June, so first part of July of this year, I basically quit all of the things. Um and decided to take a sabbatical from everything. From you know, at the time it was mainly focused on law because I, I was working full time as an attorney. But um really just a sabbatical from the stress and the pressure and the um, and law and the legal environment and all of that, because I kind of felt like, you know, when I started law school, I started out at Baylor law and uh, ended up transferring to SMU. But I felt like I hit the ground running Mm -hmm. and just kind of was on this treadmill. And like, you know, after law school, went straight to working um, at a bigger law firm and then kind of got into a groove and then COVID hit and then fell out of that groove, you know? And so, um, so I, I just decided like, I can't continue on this treadmill and I just needed a break from it all.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think that it's interesting that you say treadmill. I think that comes up a lot for us lawyers. We think we are on this treadmill and mm-hmm. we go to law school a lot of times. And there are different people that go to law school for different reasons, right? Some people go because it's just the thing to do or it's that next step that they think they should do or they don't know what to do. And so that just seems like the easy thing to do, more school, right? Right. (laughs) I would say those people go to law school for probably the wrong reasons because many of them end up later thinking, why did I ever do this? I didn't really want to be a lawyer, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I've had somebody on to talk to speak to that before. And Mm -hmm. um, I'll I'll put a link to it in the show notes for this one if that's you you out there. But then there's those of us who go to law school – and we actually have some, you know, dreams around what we want or some thoughts around why, and yet we lose track of it so easily and so quickly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We just kind of get on this path, I think, yeah. that we think is this pre-existing path we're supposed to follow. And do, do you, it sounds like maybe you kind of got into that groove mm-hmm. and just didn't think about it because it's easy to get caught up in it. Yes? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's why I told my husband, like on my worst days, you know, during as an attorney or during law school, I was like, I didn't like, I, I chose this. Like, I didn't just go from undergrad because it was the thing. Like I had a family and young kids and I purposefully went to law school. And so in those moments, I was just like, this was no accident. And yet here I am like miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that I kind of, you know, the treadmill analogy works well for me because, you know, it kind of like treadmills have these like pre-programmed paths, you know, you can do like, um, a mile at this rate or whatever you hit a button and you just go. And then if you get into it and you're like, this was a mistake, (laughs) it can be very difficult, you know, to stop it to get off. And I feel like that's kind of what happened. I, I just kind of, you know, I, I graduated law school and took the bar and started working in that September. Uh, and and really enjoyed my firm. I know you and I kind of spent some time at the same at the same the same firm, but um really enjoyed the people and everything. It just was like I was continuing to go at that pace. Mm-hmm. And um, it just set me up badly, especially for Covid. And I know a lot of people, you know, struggled um, during Covid, but I just feel like I was already just mentally, emotionally, physically drained. Um, Mm -hmm. and then COVID hit and it was just like the first couple of weeks, you know, when it was like, Oh, we're going to shut down for a couple of weeks, maybe a month. It's going to be fine. And then once we realized it was longer, Mm -hmm. I mean, my mental health just totally plummeted and, Mm -hmm. um, just struggled, um, you know, trying to hold everything together and also school my kids. And then, then I still had a big law job, you know, I was trying to build those hours and everything. So I do. I feel like I kind of got on that path and just thought, okay, I'll just hit cruise control and just go. And um, ended up, my my body was finally like, nope, we're done with this. <laughs> we're not doing this anymore. So.
0: So would you call it what you experienced burnout?
1: I would. I mean, I think, so the other part of my story is that my second year of law school, um, I was really struggling, I, not academically. I'm I'm such a nerd that that part of my <laughs> my body or my mind or whatever, just pushes through. It's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to get the grade, but everything else, like emotionally and and physically and all that. And I was actually diagnosed with depression my second year of law school. Mm. And at the time I fought it hard. And uh, in part, because I really didn't believe depression was like a real thing, which is sad. (laughs) Uh, One, I'm a psychology major. So like, I know it is. (laughs) But I guess it was kind of like, maybe it's not a real thing for me. Like this right. doesn't, you know, this isn't going to happen happens. to me. No. Yeah, it can happen to me. I'm <laughs> invincible, clearly. Um, I didn't have time for it is really what it was. But I, so I fought the diagnosis for about a year. Oh. And uh, during that time, just really plummeted. And I finally ended up in a doctor's office just weeping. And she was like, you know, It's not like, it doesn't have to be this way. Like you are Mm. making it so much harder on yourself. So finally my 3L year decided to get medication and it completely changed my life. Like I always tell people one, I wish I had done it sooner, which is like the cliche, um, getting on medication statement, but two, it was like a puzzle piece was missing Mm. and depression medication just fit like a puzzle piece and everything else just, calm and it was just i mean it, it, i can't even describe how life-changing it was for me so all of that i, I kind of set up myself i felt like for my first job really well like i was getting up at 4:30 and i was working out for 30 minutes and then i was i know that sounds awful and it and it wasn't great <laughs> but you know i was trying to get those those billable hours within a very tight time frame because then my kids got out of school and then they had the activities and all of that so anyway i was doing that and i felt like for about six months, I felt like I had set myself up like pretty well for success uh, working at this job. And that's when COVID hit. And so I think looking back now, I'm like, I was not set up well, I I was in the middle to late stages of burnout, probably at that time. Mm -hmm. And then COVID was more like survival, it was like, I just have to I don't know about my billables. I don't know about, you know, my jobs. Like, I don't know, I don't know about my kids' school. Like I just need to get through this. But as you know, looking back over the last three years, I'm like, okay, I became burned out in law school. And then I would go through these periods of like revving is kind of how I would describe it, where it's like, I can rev up with, you know, um, exercise or I can rev up with a schedule change or, or whatever, and I kept trying to change things in my environment to make it easier. I kept thinking like, okay, well, it's got to be the big firm. That's what it's got to be. That's the problem. And then it was like, okay, well maybe it's, you know, the the billable hour and like just changing a bunch of different things. And in during my sabbatical, I realized like, no, it's majority of what, I mean, the billable hour is a big part of it for me. I know a lot of people can, can do the billable hour just fine. But for me, that was something that wasn't working, but, I would say seventy percent of it was my um, my boundaries or lack thereof, my lack of um, peace in my life because I had let go of the things that normally brought me peace. I'm a, I'm a Christian, and so like there's a lot of um, a lot of things that like practicing Christians do to bring peace into their life, um, and I wasn't doing any of that. I mean, working out was not a thing because I didn't have time. So all of those things just kind of combined. So I would say mine was, that's a really long answer for, yes, I think it's (laughs) burnout, but I think mine was also um, burnout that like led into bad depression. And so it was kind of like a a tandem of those two things kind of combined.
0: Okay. So there's a couple of things there. So number one, and I don't love that you this happened to you, but I love that you shared that you fought the diagnosis and doing anything about it for a year. Mm -hmm. Because I personally find, whether it's therapy, whether it's medication, whether it's coaching, that lawyers especially do this. Mm -hmm. We think we're supposed to be perfect. And therefore we hold ourselves to certain standards that are completely unrealistic for a human being and don't get the support we need in whatever form that is. And then lash out and ignore it and claim we just know that's for other people, Mm -hmm. not for me. When we deep down kind of know we need it, but yet we still don't want to admit it even to ourselves. And I find that a lot (laughs) in lawyers. And for me, it's mostly with people who come for coaching. I got to say, The number of people who reach out to me and say something like, I can't do this anymore. I'll do anything. But then when it comes down to making the decision to hire a coach, hold back and say, no, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. That I then talk to 6, 12, 18 months, sometimes two years later. And every one of them that I talk to later have done nothing about it. Nothing. They've continued to go on down that same path. They're way worse off. And they all say, I wish I'd hired you then. Right. Or someone, right. And I'm always like, look, you can't go back. So you needed to go through that for whatever reason. You weren't ready. Now you are. Let's just move forward because there's no point in like putting yet more baggage on ourselves saying, I should have, would have, could have. You didn't. So (laughs) you're here now. That's what's important. But it, I'm, it saddens me like so much to see people choose to continually go through that. Yeah, and yet it's so common, and I think it's important that you shared that because there are people out there dealing with something similar. I'm sure that are listening to this, whether it's therapy that they need, or medication they need, or to deal with some medical issue. Even like there are attorneys who do that. Like We do it in lots of ways, and I just hope it kind of hits you and, and and it it helps them realize, okay, I'm not special. This is something others deal with. And it gives them permission to admit they're not perfect. It's okay if they're not perfect, go get the help you need because there are people out there who can help you.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest lies that we believe probably as attorneys, but also just, I think as humans is that we are the only ones struggling with X, whatever X is. Yes. And I feel like, you know, it's one of the the only good things about the pandemic, you know, is that. Everybody was on the same page as far as like dealing with this thing. We were Mm -hmm. all, I remember watching, uh, I don't know if you watched some good news uh, with John Krasinski. It was like the early part of the pandemic and it it was fantastic. You should Google it. But anyway, it was like, he was, he's a celebrity and he, you know, he was trying to, to show like a made from home newscast about the good that's still happening. And it really, I mean, I joked that it got me through the first couple of months, of the pandemic, but it really did because it was like this uplifting message. And I feel like so much was so sad, but I think for the first time, it was like, even a celebrity is going through what I'm going through. And so it kind of helped unite people. And I feel like that's the case with depression and anxiety and, and all these different things is that whenever I have become vocal about depression, I get so many messages from people. And half of them are, I struggle with this too, but no one knows. (laughs) And the other half is, I'm really glad you said this, because I think this is something that I'm going through, or I have felt this before. And uh, I just, it's, it's amazing to me that so many people experience this and just kind of live with it and don't, you know, don't share with their colleagues or, you know, anybody that they're going through it.
0: Yeah. And it's the worst thing you can do for yourself, right? Because Mm -hmm. when you hold it in, it just makes it worse because you just trap it inside of your head, which is pre-wired to think negatively and have these overarching, like it's like a broken record. They just go Mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again in your head and it makes you feel worse and it makes you feel more isolated and it makes you feel more alone and you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And The same thing, it's interesting because I see this a lot in people who suffer from what we like to call imposter syndrome. And I have, in work dealing with it myself early on and then several times, honestly, to my career, in helping a lot of people with that, I have started to believe that a lot of it has to do with holding ourselves to crazy, ridiculous standards and then never sharing with anybody how we feel. We lawyers, again, we hold ourselves to these stupid standards that don't exist that nobody else holds us to. And because of that, we're afraid to share how we feel and think we're alone. And if you would just talk about how you feel to somebody else, you'll quickly realize everybody feels that to some extent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a reason, there's stats out there around lawyers suffering from chronic stress that leads to massive anxiety and depression too. Like I think lawyers are something like 3.6 times more likely to suffer from depression than the average person. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that we hold so much in for so long and the brain's not meant to deal with that in that way. (laughs) Right. And at some point there is a breaking point for everybody, you know, so don't hold it in, find somebody you can talk to. It can help so much and it can help you find the right resources too if that's what you need. The other thing that I found interesting about what you said was that a large portion of it didn't necessarily have to do with external circumstances, which a lot of us think of cause Mm -hmm. our stress. It's all this external stuff. Um, but a lot of it had to do with, with you and how you were making choices and decisions and lack of boundaries and that type of a thing.
1: Right. Yeah. want to
0: speak to that a little more.
1: Yeah. So I, um, when I, so when I was diagnosed with depression in law school and actually accepted it, I started, um, doing therapy and I always thought, therapy and meditation and those things like that. I just one I thought they weren't for me, like everybody. <laughs> um, but you know I just felt like they didn't I didn't I didn't really see the merit like I didn't see what that would really help um, with. And so I started doing therapy and I really like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, just as a particular type of therapy that teaches you tools and it's very tools based. And so when I started studying for the bar, I started working with this therapist. And it was so fantastic for a host of reasons. Uh, Two of which are one, she gave me like practical tools that I could use for bar prep and then during the bar exam, which I did, and they were phenomenal. And then, two, what I love about therapy is that people don't understand that. Like, if I have a fight with my husband, And I go to my sister and I'm explaining this fight with my husband. Then now she has this information. Now she has these preconceived ideas about my husband and I can't erase that. Like it's, it's always going to be there. But if I talk to my therapist about it, she has absolutely no, you know, Mm. stake in this. She has no skin in the game. So it's like, if she doesn't like my husband, that doesn't matter. It doesn't affect him in any way. So I felt like I could burden somebody else who's not my family or my spouse or whomever with the things that I was struggling with, and there wasn't any kind of blowback from that, so that was really helpful um, but i I just feel like again, like so many attorneys just think you know that this isn't something that they need or um that could benefit their life in any way, and it's just it's obvious that just statistically, if you just look at it, one, like you said, we're all more inclined because of the nature of our jobs and how stressful and, and pressure filled everything is, we're inclined to need it. But too, it really does work. It's very helpful. Mm-hmm. And so those, um, those tips and, and the things that I learned in therapy, I feel like were really helpful um, also just to be able to use
0: in everyday life. And, and I would say I love cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, I, my, both of my boys have done it to some extent mm-hmm. as they've had to deal with things through the pandemic and, and learning. And I like it because again, as you said, it teaches tools. It's actually, I've been surprised around how similar it is to coaching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in learning how they helped my boys and the tools that they gave them, um, which is maybe why I love it so much. But right. uh, I do highly recommend, there's a lot of different kinds of counseling and therapy and stuff out there. And I think people right. sometimes have this in, inclination towards, I just go sit on a couch and, 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 and just share. Yeah. And just no. Share. And it's like, <laughs> it could be that way, but it also could be a lot of different ways. And it's up to you, you know, to be proactive for yourself and advocate for yourself to find the right thing that will work mm-hmm. for you based on what you need. Um, so there's that. But yeah. So okay, so you you figured out, okay, I'm in burnout, I need a sabbatical. Like, how did you make the decision? How did you even like identify I have to do this. This has got to be the answer for me.
1: Yeah. So before I, okay, so I kind of joke that I have like a Goldilocks career as being a lawyer. So I started out at a big law firm and then I actually quit that and moved to, I opened up my own firm focusing on families with special needs and then went to a small firm So I kind of feel like in each situation, it was like, this one's too big. This one's, you know, too small. And so I kind of settled in at this small firm and I was like, okay, this is going to be perfect because this has a great (laughs) mix of all the things. And as I, and I loved the people, liked the firm. Uh, I was doing commercial litigation. So, you know, I didn't feel like I was saving the world, but I felt like the work was interesting and and stuff that I enjoyed. And I actually, because I was, I had focused on my mental health and physical health and all of that. Prior to starting at this firm, I was actually not on depression medication and Mm. uh, was feeling very, very good. About three months in, maybe four months in, I started to feel very anxious. I started to, um, I was billing more hours than I wanted to that particular month. And I messed up on a project. Um, and I say messed up. I made a mistake on a project, which I know as an attorney is like, you know,
0: the unheard of. all <laughs> yeah, the, like can't. the worst thing that could obviously, possibly happen. Yet I it happens not. to everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like obviously, I should not have gone to law school because I made this mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started to get very stressed. I started to loosen all the boundaries that I had put in place. So I was doing really well with like spending time working out and like eating well. And then, I started skipping lunch because I didn't mm. feel like I had time. Then I started eating the junk that was in the snack room for lunch, um, which consisted mostly of Cheez-Its or other peanut butter crackers and things of that nature. And I started checking my phone right when I woke up and right before I went to bed. I know, right? I feel that, that face that you're giving. That's <laughs> <Such> a mom <laughs> face. We all have the same face. But I started doing that and didn't really catch it, that I was doing it. And so anyway, I, uh, about mid, maybe beginning of June, it was a very fast turnaround beginning of June. I was in our house, just bawling and realizing that the depression had come back. And I personally, from what I've read about depression and, and kind of how it works, I'd be like my depression or, or maybe the, the way that mine has manifested it's, it's chronic stress that leads to like adrenal fatigue that kills all of your, you know, you're, you're in fight or flight all the time. Mm -hmm. It tanks all of your stuff. And then your body goes into depression because that's your, all your, all your mechanisms have broken down. So that's what I feel like that's kind of the progression I see. And so got back on depression medication. And again, within 24, 36 hours, I felt 70 to 80% better, but I realized that my goal of not having to take depression medication. And my goal of being a full-time lawyer right now were at odds with one another. And I went to my my mentor and and one of the partners I worked with at this small firm for a regular meeting. And I'd already talked to my husband and kind of just said, like, I think I just, I need a break. Like I need a hard stop on all of the things so I can reevaluate. So I went to this meeting with his partner and he was like telling me like how great of a job. It was like a review. Apparently it was like, like a, yeah, like a five month review or six month review meeting, how I was doing a great job and like how he was really excited to have me and all this stuff. (laughs) And I was like, thank you so much for all of that information also (laughs) and just like laid it out and just told him like, I love working here and I like working with you guys and I like what I'm doing. The firm is great. I have to quit. I have to quit for either I don't know, maybe six, six months, I have no idea what it is. So we went back and forth, you know, he was obviously shocked, but um, we went back and forth over, could I do, you know, just like a 30 day sabbatical? Could I do a reduced work Mm. schedule and and all these different things? And it was really kind. And I had such a supportive environment. I know a lot of people aren't that fortunate, but trying to find like a, a situation where it could work. And I told him, like, I, I appreciate what you're doing. And I wish that that were the case, but I said, I feel like if you've ever done an elimination diet, I did whole 30 last year against my better judgment, but, and it's an elimination diet. And the whole point is you take out all of these things and then you add them back slowly to see how your body reacts to them. And I told him there are just too many variables right now. I don't know if it's commercial lit. I don't know if it's the hours. I don't know if it's this firm. I don't know if it's law in general. I don't know if it's me. I don't know, because I have too many variables. So I need a hard stop so that I can isolate what is happening. So that's how, I mean, it's kind of anticlimactic, but that's how I I made the decision to quit and just say like, I am off the grid for any kind of work house. I mean, literally did nothing. I did not do housework. I did not eat well. My husband just took over and I pretty much just attempted to put on clothes every day and that was the extent of my you know for at least the first week or so but but yeah that's i mean that's kind of how i i decided to do the hard reset
0: i find it interesting that you were in this place and they had no clue like yeah which it, it's not surprising it is no. interesting but it's not surprising i think right. sometimes we think that people who are burning out or in burnout mode they are going to be the ones that are making a million mistakes and or they're the ones who are freaking out in the office and breaking down into tears and yep. or they're the ones who obviously are addicted to something for sure. addiction issues and this is partly why right yeah <laughs> um, or a good chunk of it and I think that yes that can happen, but that is that next like late stage or or later stage right where they've just continued on and on yep. and on and on yep. and I think that those that are in your shoes, there's a lot more of them. And mm-hmm. we think it's normal.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're high achievers. I mean, they're good at their jobs. That's the, I actually just wrote a blog post on this maybe last week or maybe the week before, but I titled it or the first phrase is the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But my whole point in writing that was like, no, it's it's the quiet ones or the ones that are like super efficient, that are getting work done all the time, that are doing excellent work product that are working better and faster and harder. And those are the ones that you, you have to check on. And, and Mm -hmm. so I, you know, you said like my firm had no idea and I would say it was probably 70% my fault and 30% theirs. Like, right. I feel like, you know, partners and and other, other associate, I mean, it doesn't have to just be partners, but like, you know, just colleagues of attorneys need to be checking in with each other And especially when you notice that somebody is really excelling, which seems very counterintuitive. But, um, but that's, that was part of the, the idea for that post is that I was, I was billing more, I was doing great work, I, I was doing all of those things. And I wasn't, and I wasn't eating well. And I wasn't, you know, and we kind of joked about it. I mean, like, people walked by my office, and I had like a bag of cheese that's open on my thing. And it was like, (laughs) is that lunch? And I was like, Oh yeah, I've got this thing. You know, we kind of laugh about it and that's understandable, but that kind of thing, like over and over and over, that's why, you know, we lead, we, those types of things that lead into your body, not getting the nutrients that you need. You're not getting enough sleep. You're not getting enough, you know, uh, rest and whatever. And then even though you're grinding and just pumping out great work products, like eventually again, your body just says like, I'm out, <laughs> no yeah, longer going to do this thing. And you can't
0: so, – You in. there are different ways that people deal with it. Some are smart like you and they're like, no, I got to stop everything and walk away, at least for some time period so I can figure this out. Yeah. Others do things that are much worse for themselves, right? That's how yeah. people get into drug and alcohol and other addictions where they're trying to treat it and then they go down a fast, bad spiral and mm-hmm. – I mean I've seen it. I've seen I've seen colleagues do that and um what's irritating to me is that most of the leadership in these firms when they see it they just try to get rid of them because they're a liability risk as opposed to trying to help them. Now yeah. I know I know that if they're not willing to take the help you can't force it. It it doesn't work. It's you know, but it, it certainly you should try, you yeah. know. And I-
1: I remember finding it interesting in law school. We learned about ethics and stuff like like you have a, as an attorney, you have a duty to report whenever you feel like an associate, uh, a friend, a colleague, whatever, a fellow attorney is struggling. You're supposed to report. And it's so, I mean, I've never done that. And I, I would be terrified to do so. And I would have been terrified if someone had reported that for me um, because, you know, the question immediately is like, what's going to happen to my bar license and what's going to happen, all these things. Um, But I mean, it it is, we're, we're supposed to look out for one another. And like you said, I mean, it's up to us too. Like we can't, I can't hide under a rock and then complain that nobody ever reached out. And I have, like I said, I've had great firms. I've I've worked at some of the best um, fits for me as far as like culture and, and friendships and things like that. But you know, there's just, there's, it's lost hard and it's hard intellectually, it's hard emotionally. It's hard physically, mentally. It's, it's just hard. And mm-hmm. if you don't have a support system, I mean, I'm blessed to have a husband who I can say to him, I have to quit my job. And he's like, let's do it. Let's make it work. And, you know, and family to support me and to take my kids when I've needed them and, and doctors who will, you know, I, I have a great support system, but not everybody has that. And so right. that's one of the things, like when that LinkedIn post went so viral, I had so many people reach out that were struggling. And I just was trying to encourage like, hey, you're not alone. It's not just you. I have 60 messages just like yours from strangers you know, who are Mm -hmm. just telling me this is their life and this is how they feel too.
0: Yeah. And I think a couple of things that you've kind of highlighted already, but I really want to bring this home. Number one, we all assume everybody's okay unless they say something. And that is just not the case, especially amongst us high achievers who never want to admit something's wrong. Right. Number two, it almost never shows until there are severe cracks and they're at like the breaking point because we are so good at hiding, right? Mm-hmm. We are so good. We're such high achievers that we're so, so good at hiding. And so it is really important to have like each individual listening to this. And I've done, um, at the time that this comes out, I'll have already done this, it'll be out there. I had a, a podcast about my number one success strategy. And anybody who listens to this knows success for me does not mean just paper success, right? It means you're actually happy mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're content and you're not killing yourself for whatever successes you have. It means success in both law and life is to have a support network like a, th- a really good one. And people may not think of that as a strategy but it really is because you have to be incredibly proactive and you have to think about who are the right people and it needs to be not just professionally but personally too, right? The people could, that that can hold you accountable for you and who you are and can also check in with you. Mm-hmm. But it also so at each individual it's on us to ensure we have that, but and this is important for those of you listening who are in firm leadership or who our partners or senior associates who help manage other people, it's important, too, to take care of one another and to check in. Like your example of, you know, the Cheez-Its and the the unhealthy lunches. And, okay, so I had – a Rule of three times and there's something wrong, like I need to check in, right? Like a three strikes mm-hmm. and you're out kind of a thing. So, the first time, haha, joke about it. Second time, it's time to log this because hmm, this happened before. Third time, it's time to ask questions like, hey, yeah. what's going on? I've seen this three times now. Are you like, you know, do we right. need to help take something off your plate? Is there something we could do? Like, you know, be human, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I think that's that's the great, a great example of the three strikes rule because it really, we do, we we joke about it. And uh, because it seems like, like you've said, this is just how it is, we've accepted it as normal. And uh, normal or common doesn't mean great. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. this is not the, this is not the abundant life, I feel like we're meant to lead. And um, so yeah, I would say check in, you know, check in with your, your friends who are working in it. And like you said, if you see Habits where you're getting emails from them at midnight, or you know, you you see it for for a long stretch of time or, or several times to check in because it is it's true. So many people don't um, don't feel like it's their place or they don't want to bother or whatever. And at least in my experience, I have never, not one time, had somebody ask me how I was doing, like mm-hmm. truly asked me, like how are things, and felt annoyed that they cared about my well-being. Right. I just, maybe that's a, an experience that some people have, but I just never have felt that. Um, the other thing that I did at this last firm that ended up really helping me was there was a day where I made a mistake and I felt, um, like the partner was upset with me, whether or not he actually was, I felt that. And I was ruminating on, um, hmm. the mistake and how I should have done differently. And then it turned into a self-hatred spiral why are you so stupid? Why did you not do that? You're supposed you know, you were top 10%, you were whatever, but you can't, you can't figure out this thing. So then I started into that. So what, what I did was I, I made a Slack channel with um, the other associates. We had a, we had an all attorney one. And then we had um, another one. I can't remember, but then we didn't have like just an associates channel. So I made it. And I said, I need to hear your biggest mistake right now. I need to hear that. And everyone started throwing in their mistakes. And they were, there were some of them like missing an appeal deadline. Mm -hmm. That is a large mistake. Yep. But she explained how she had made it and felt really dumb and all that and how they had remedied it. And everyone kept saying, Oh, I did this, but then the partner did this and we were able to get this moved or, and in each situation it was resolved. And my mistake was I, I missed a case. I think in a in a um, motion I was writing, there was like an, an opposite case that I didn't cite to. And I just remember sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, like everyone here has made mistakes. And they're all like, you know, in my mind, my mistake was huge and was just unfathomable. Mm-hmm. When i missing an appeal deadline, she explained the story. And I was like, I totally get how you did that. But it was still reversible. And I just mm-hmm. felt so much better. And I remember at one point, um, I was telling a partner that we had done this and he told me his biggest mistake.
0: And I just, for
1: some reason thought in my head in the moment he was talking about it, I was like, I can't believe you made that mistake. And then I realized, I think that these partners have never aired. Yeah. (laughs) They've never aired. And I'm like, how is that possible? Like, why would I think that? But I just, when he told me his mistake, I just felt such a relief. So that's another thing. It's just kind of a silly thing. But again, when you think that you're the only one that would have made that error, or you're the only one that ever makes mistakes, to hear other people that you think are great attorneys or are partners at great firms and stuff tell you, I did this once. It was just, I don't know. It was freeing for me to feel that, to hear that. And
0: it's a perfect example of why it's so important to talk to other people and connect and actually share. because. You'll see, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who does this. And I have news for people out there. Like I I made mistakes as a young associate, as a mid-level associate, as a senior associate, and guess what? As a partner too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I still to this day remember the one of the biggest mistakes I made as a partner that ended up with not so good consequences. I mean, nothing got screwed up in the deal, but it was the client was very unhappy and I lost the client over it. I mean, mm-hmm. it happens all the time. People do these things. And by the way, the funniest thing about, wasn't funny at the time, but looking back, it kind of is. So I had, you know, I love to talk about how I kind of figured things out. I figured out how to ba- have boundaries. I figured out how to like manage my practice and do it in a way where I felt very balanced, even as a partner. And I did. But when I came back from being out for almost a year, for my cancer battle. And it was halfway through the next year. And I was really just starting to take on fully, like a full-time schedule again. I wanted to prove myself. This is where we get in trouble. Right. <laughs> I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to prove I was back. back. I You're could back. handle everything yeah. in stupidly ways that I had never... Done pre-cancer. I'd always like had more help, right? Mm -hmm. And so I had a big closing for a big client, and I was scheduled to go out of town to visit my mom and take my boys. And I did not hand it off to another partner. I decided I would handle it on my own. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, a bunch of information came to light that we hadn't known, and it just the shit hit the fan completely. And guess what? My mom lives in the mountains in North Carolina. They lost all internet and phone access for a day in the midst of all of this and all kinds of crap happened. It just, it was a mess, right? And it ultimately turned out fine, but the client was very unhappy. She felt like I had not discovered some things. I don't think that was fair, but because of all this other stuff, she kind of attributed other things to me and I lost the client over it and it was horrifying. It was terrible. I, I I felt terrible and... You know, I also was ashamed that I did that as a partner until I shared with people. Mm -hmm. And then they told me, yeah, that happens. Like, it sucks. What are you going to learn from it? Right? And so (laughs) I just want to say that it happens to everybody no matter what level you are. And the important thing is to learn from it and to share with people so you don't totally lose sight and go down that horrible spiral that your brain wants to go into the worst.
1: Yeah. I was just teaching my son this. I have an 11 and seven-year-old and uh, I was telling my 11-year-old, he had made a mistake. And I said, yeah, so what did you learn about that mistake? And he said, oh, I learned that I shouldn't do X. And I said, yeah, you know, the great thing about mistakes is they always teach you something, whether or Mm -hmm. not you choose to learn the lesson or continue doing the thing you were doing, that's a different story. But I remember just thinking there, and I feel like I heard God whisper, "Like I hope you're listening." <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, it's just I. And I thought, yeah, I for some reason feel like as an adult, it's just unacceptable as a as an attorney, maybe as a mom. You know, sometimes I talk to these new moms, and they're just like struggling so much. They're like, I just don't know how to do X, and I'm like, parenting is just guessing. You're just guessing mm-hmm. all the time at the best thing. Obviously, as an attorney, there's hopefully less guessing, but you know, we're all human and we're just trying to do our best. And I find that owning the mistake is 90% of the battle. You know, and, and oftentimes the people that you're working with, if you say, I did that, that was my mistake. Next time I will do this, I apologize. That person has so much more respect for you yes. than if you... Attempt to cover it up, try to work it out on your own, spin your tires for a long time, eventually have to report it to the partner who then's mad that you didn't come to them sooner. You know, it's just better to just say, Yeah, I did that. That was my mistake. Here's what I have put in place to prevent it in the future um, and move on.
0: Well, and just note that the trust is not lost because the mistake is made. They lose trust in you when you try to cover it up and deal with it without taking full ownership of it. And mm-hmm. so, by readily, as soon as you figure it out, admitting, okay, this is the mistake I made. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I'm going to do moving forward. They're not losing trust in you that way. They've seen mm-hmm. that you've learned something from it and they can trust you again. Yeah. And I think that's where people really mess up. And FYI, it's an ethics violation to try to cover it up. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so maybe don't do it
0: for a couple reasons. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, okay, so you've taken this time off. You are now doing other things, but you're doing them like little things here and there, right? right? Like three different things. But how are you um, guarding against this happening again? Like, what are you? What have you learned that you need to be doing that you either are doing or you're exploring that you know you need to continue to work on so that you don't end up back there? Yeah.
1: So my husband and I have had this conversation a bunch of times uh, when we were first married about setting up guardrails. You know, so when you when you um, go to like a cliff or something, there's always like the the bar, the safety bar that's like not at the edge where it's super uh-huh. dangerous, not even a couple feet near the edge where it's pretty dangerous, but it's like pretty far back so that even if you were, you know, once you hit the rail, you know, you're in trouble. Even if you go a little further, you're at least still alive. But then there's the cliff, and I feel like the thing about boundaries is we treat boundaries. We being me, I don't know people like me, treat boundaries like they're fluid. <laughs> and the, and they're not. <laughs> they're meant to be a guardrail. and there are times that a boundary you know you can go past the boundary a little and still be okay and then get back on the other side of that guardrail. So what I have found is when I am treating them like they are guardrails um then I am doing so much better in all aspects of my life in my parenting and my um, in my home like I want you know my house to be clean, I've got these here's what I need to be doing each day to do those things. And when I start to get stressed, my boundaries become a lot more fluid. Mm -hmm. So maybe I thought that recruiting placement was going to work and I find out that he's been rejected. So then instead of doing my, you know, meditation, I'm like, well, I'm just going to spend 10 minutes just searching to see if I can find another job. And that turns into 45 minutes. And now I'm past my bedtime boundary. Um, And so Those are the things that, or at least that's the way that I'm kind of um, attempting to guard against burnout. Um, And so the things that I'm like, the specific things I'm doing is one, I had not slept through the night and woken up refreshed since law school. So it had been six years.
0: Oh, wow. I
1: know. I know. It's real bad. But um, I would sleep 10, 12 hours. And this is a, a very common symptom of both depression and burnout is sleeping for, you know, a long period of time and waking up exhausted. And uh, I did sleep studies and I did sleep medications and all of the things. And the short version is that my brain just didn't turn off. It was just like still doing its thing uh, all night. So one of the things that I am doing now is like a very strict bedtime routine. And so it's like I have an alarm set on my Fitbit at 845. My Fitbit starts being like, hey, you need to start winding it up. Mm-hmm. And I have um a tea that I do that's like a, a you know like a bedtime tea or whatever, and I do a meditation, which I used to hate and now really, really like um I always thought you were the whole point of meditation was like sitting in a dark room and trying not to think, no nope. and <laughs> you know, which I was like, it's impossible. I can't do this, And it's true because that's not the point. but uh, I do a meditation every night. I really like the calm app and mm. I do their meditations um. And then I use like an herbal sleep aid to help that I found that works for me, Um, and so I just have this really strict bedtime routine that that's really helping. The other thing that I'm doing is I am trying to get a walk in every morning. I like sports. I like to play like you know pretty energetic sports. I like um, hit workouts, like kind of Uh more of like the high intensity stuff. But for burnout, depression, adrenal fatigue. You're not supposed to do. You're supposed to do low impact everything, which is super boring to me. But I'm trying to be good, so I'm doing. I actually listen to the Life and Love podcast (laughs) as I'm I'm. That's not a shameless plug. Like I honestly do. I listen to it as I walk the dog. After I walk the boys to school, I take my dog. Awesome. Do like a mile, mile and a quarter walk while I'm listening. Um, and so I, I feel like I'm still growing and like, I'm still making progress in like what my, you know, the things that I'm wanting to do, like life and law. One of the things I like is there's been a lot of talk about like mindset and things like that. I know you direct me to some of those episodes. So I've been listening to those. I feel like those help both my mental health and my, you know, burnout journey also help me in my different, the jobs that I'm doing. So I do that. Um, the other thing that I do is I try very, very hard not to touch my phone for the first about hour and a half after I wake up Mm. to hour and maybe maybe a half, two hours before bed. Because what I found, you know, it's the blue light and and screens and all that. That's true. But for me, when I check my phone at night and I have that, like, for example, I see that that interview didn't go through. Right. Then immediately you want to fix it. I want to fix it. Yeah. And so my brain's like, here are the 700 ways that we can go <laughs> and do this thing. So um, I know as an associate attorney, that's very difficult, especially if you work at a place where, you know, your partners expect you to be very responsive and all of that. Um, but in my opinion, you know, there's nothing, if I'm not going to be working, like actively working at night, there is no reason to be checking my email. Um If I am purpose for
0: it, right? Other than to cause your brain to start trying to fix it when you're not really going to do it, or at least you're not supposed to do it until the next day.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And like, there are a lot of people I know that they're, they're night owls. They like to work at night. Totally fine. If you are going to sit down at eight o'clock and and crank it out for two hours, that's fine if that works for you. But for me, this is like, I'm just going to check and see what emails I have. And inevitably it's like, the things that cause drama. So that's, that's one thing. And then the same thing in the morning. Um, If you know, you want to check your email to see like what things you have for the day, that makes total sense, especially like before your kids get up or before, before you get to work. But for me, like that first hour needs to be slow and not trying to plan my day and trying to just wake up. And, you know, that usually for me, it means like, I'm, I'm trying to get the kids food and breakfast and lunches ready for the day and make sure they have all their stuff and whatever. But I just can't, I can't turn my brain on that quickly Mm -hmm. without it going from zero to 60 like that. You know, I need that time. So those are a couple of things that I've put in place that I find have really made a difference when I treat them like guardrails.
0: Mm. The trick will be continuing to treat them that way, right? Yes, for sure. It's (laughs) hard work here's what i would say to that and i think hopefully you will find this what what i have found is i mean i i was able to compartmentalize really well as a lawyer and so i could check things and just and say okay but i also had very very clear boundaries with clients like they knew I was not going to go do the work. They knew, like I made it very clear. Mm-hmm. If it's a true emergency and I need to be attending to something, you need to text or call me on my cell. And that very rarely happened because they also understood what a true emergency meant. Right. right. And so if it happened, it was a real thing and there was real reasons for it. Very rare especially in my line of work. I was a corporate finance attorney. So usually that was something's blowing up on a deal that's closing in a day or two and mm-hmm. we need to attend to it immediately because we need to get it to close. Right. But that didn't happen that often. Um other than that, like they knew. So I would check it just to say because like, I wanted to know like okay, what's ahead of me for the next day and I was very good about just looking and logging, right? Okay, no, 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 no. Oh, that's come up. Might need to, I need to address this in the morning. I need to keep that in mind or note Mm -hmm. it, right? So I don't forget. Um, Because I liked to look ahead a day to kind of plan my day. And then the next morning, I would take like five minutes to do the same thing, right? But it didn't take as long because I'd already thought about the night before, what are my priorities for the day? And so I was very good at that. Now, when I came out and started my own like practice, like coaching practice, I actually found it harder at first. And so Mm -hmm. I had to really train myself to not check and it, you know, not check at night, especially because my night is with my boys. And what I would say to that is what I've learned and what I think I've seen a lot of my clients and I hope happens for you is over time, you retrain your brain to think differently about these things. Because over the course of about a two-year period of like setting my phone aside after a certain time and just not looking at it it got to the point where I'm like, oh, I don't have the same reaction now if I look at it as I did then. Because I Mm -hmm. went so long knowing the world's not going to fall apart. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like you retrain and you start actually thinking differently. And so now I can kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, for the same reason that I did before and go, Mm -hmm. okay, because people sometimes schedule appointments last minute or reschedule things and I don't. And so I like to look for that purpose. But I right. also have a very limited purpose, right, for why I'm looking. Mm-hmm. So hopefully you get to that point. The other thing I'd say is there's probably lawyers thinking, yeah, I could never do that. That's too right. long. Or first off, I would say you don't necessarily have to do it for so long, right? right. Maybe it's the first half hour when you wake up. Maybe, it, you yeah. know, whatever. Um You need to do what works for you. But secondly, I need you to challenge that and ask if that's really the case. Because I'm willing to bet you can put your phone away in the morning for a period of time and in the evening without there being severe repercussions. And it's important for you to figure out how to do that so that you – because you are allowed to have a life (laughs) and people expect you to so that you can show up fully when you do show up for work. So find a way to make it work for you.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's good advice. Cause it, that's the thing is like, I would say if you're, if you, my opinion is if you are working at a place where they expect you to be on call all the time and, you know, responding to emails the moment they're in at any time, if that's not working for you, find something else. (laughs) I mean, if if it's not working, because that's, it is. It's very difficult. And I know as an associate, I mean, commercial litigation is different in that, you know, you might get a call or an email at 6 p.m. because this client just did this thing and now you've got to file an injunction or you've got to do, you know, things just change very rapidly. Uh, what I liked about the last firm that I was working for, they told me, you know, after five, it we're not like if I send you an email, it's not for that evening. Um, if I call you, then it's at least more important. But generally they they were very good about respecting after hours, they, even with litigation, I mean, which is mm-hmm. amazing. But um, we did, we had that relationship where I could say, okay, you sent me an email. And sometimes I would do this. I would say, hey, I got your, I saw that, you know, you sent me an email. Um, is this something that I can do tomorrow at, you know, 10 or whatever? And they would respond like, yeah, like that's definitely, I was just trying to get it off my plate so that I, you know, could get it out of my head. But I would say have that open, if you can, you know, have at least one of the people that you're working for, have that open relationship where you can say, hey, when you, when you email me after six, am I, are these things like for me to do then, or is it stuff that I can do the next day? Kind of tell me how urgent this is. Because again, like you said, if, if there's an emergency, I would hope that someone's calling my cell phone right? because the, the constantly checking email is just, it's very draining and it doesn't, for me, it
0: just doesn't work. Well, and it, it really doesn't work for anybody. I, I, I would There's out, people out there saying, oh, yeah, I can. I, I tell you it's going to catch up with you at some point, number mm-hmm. one. Number two, you are in charge of setting these boundaries. And boundaries are not saying no. Boundaries are having that conversation with the person to figure out what are your expectations and what am I willing to do and letting them know, you know. And please text me, phone call me, say in the email, whatever, like, this is how I need you to tell me, yes, this needs to be done. And it's an emergency. Otherwise, we're going to assume it's not, and I can take care of it the next day. Like, there are conversations you need to have. That's part of creating boundaries. And if you are at a firm that really does require you to be at the beck and call constantly, go somewhere else. It's not worth it. It just isn't. There are a lot of lawyers out there. There are a lot of firms out there. All firms are not the same. And most really don't require that. So find the right fit for you. Yeah not agree. Well, thank you so very much for coming on today. I think everybody who listens is going to get a lot out of this. Uh, curious to know, are you going to skip right past this one when you listen? I
1: really, uh, I hate, I, like most people hate hearing my own voice on tape. So I'm probably going to skip it. <laughs>
0: When I first started this, I hated hearing it, and I was the one doing all of the edits initially. And so it was really hard, but I have to say, after a while, I got used to it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Good to know.
0: (laughs) So why don't you tell people where they can find you moving forward?
1: Sure. So like I said, I'm kind of doing uh, a couple different things, but I have them all um, underneath NicoleMillerLegal.com. And if you're looking for legal help or, um, like I said, workflow consulting, kind of helping you streamline your systems or looking for a better position to serve your life, I can help with those things.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I will put uh, your site in the show notes so that people can find you and reach out if they would like to. For anybody out there who feels like you are dealing with burnout or maybe you're just too stressed out. I have a couple of other episodes that I want to recommend to you. So I'm going to put them into the show notes. Please be sure to listen to them. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week. Bye for now. Are you tired of barely squeezing life in thinking, shouldn't there be more to life than this? Do you want to get to the next level, but without losing yourself in the process? Are you ready to start thinking and doing differently so that you can stop doing the same things over and over and over, hoping for a different result? If any of this speaks to you and you're ready to do something about it starting now, book a call with me to find out how I can help. Go to lifeandlawpodcast.com forward slash free call.